Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I am your host, Father Shane Demon, And I'm Father Travis Crotty. And we are thrilled to be with you here today. A beautiful fall season. It's just been wonderful these past few weeks. Yeah. Um, just gorgeous time of year here in Iowa. And I know across the Midwest, a lot of people are thrilled that the uh, the harvest is coming in. And that always mm-hmm. provides a, a great sense of renewal and joy. Uh, and a great sense of Thanksgiving as well. So Right. You have to have your little plaque in your kitchen that says, give thanks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then a little shirt that says, hey, y'all, it's fall. Right. We'll get you one of those. That's the Midwest way. Huh? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Father Travis, how have you been? What's been new good. these days? Yeah, well, I actually just tried my hand at going on a little priest vacation for the first time in my priesthood, oh. which was good. Traveling with a, your brothers? Yep, that's right. Yeah, so okay. we were supposed to have graduation back in May. Right. Then we were supposed to have graduation for this alumni day thing in St. Louis. That got canceled again because of restrictions and stuff. Sure. So two of my classmates who I haven't seen since they've been priests, we got together for a few days. Nice. And yeah, celebrated mass together and, and just hung out and cooked and things like that. Good. Um, it was great. Yeah. Relax and pray together. Mm-hmm. It was That's nice. Great. Very rejuvenating. It was good. Yeah. And I was talking about those Thanksgiving stuff. Herman, Missouri is on the Missouri river. It's this beautiful little town West of St. Louis. Okay. And it's really touristy. Um, and there's like these, there's some wineries and distilleries around and stuff, but we were really just there to central location to hang out. Um, but all the shops were filled with stuff like that. So I brought you back some little plaques that say give oh, thanks on it. I have some merch from yeah. uh, Missouri. <laughs> That's right. Missouri no, merch. No, I didn't get you. <laughs> but it was funny seeing all the all the middle-aged ladies walking around with their like fall gear on. Even though it's still a little hot, you have to wear your like scarf and have it ready with your flannel and Sure. Yeah. So the leaf pretty, pattern, you know, floral arrangements and all that. You have to have it, right? Everything's <laughs> pumpkin flavored. Um, I did. This was great. Um, there was this little ice cream shop and they have these concretes, you know, like a blizzard thing. Okay. And it was just a piece of pumpkin pie inside. Thrown of it. In yeah. It. So this is like next level Dairy Queen pumpkin pie blizzard. It's okay. like just a real piece of pumpkin pie uh-huh. and ice cream. Chop it all up. Yeah. It was, it was excellent. So it was good. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was good. Good times. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you had your pumpkin spice moment. That's good. <laughs> Tis fall. That's right. You have to do it. Yeah. What do you, what have you been up to? Well, you know, while you were out gallivanting around on vacation yeah. this week, the rest of us were saving souls left oh, and right. Oh, yes, I of mean, course. we were actually working so hard, slaving away in the vineyard of the Lord. But actually, there was a there was a kind of a highlight this week. Um, here in Sioux City, we did a, a Theology on Tap session mm-hmm. recently, and a um, number of families came out, uh, adults, some young adults, middle-aged adults, and we had a great uh, discussion. I had been asked to speak on uh, faith and politics mm given the election cycle. That is coming up. Yeah. And, you know, for so many who are doing absentee balloting, I mean, they're voting right now. Yeah. And uh, there's all these concerns, obviously, of COVID and uh, how does the mail service going to handle all this? So mm-hmm. a lot of people are starting early. And we had a really good discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, getting the thoughts together and just reflecting on what is going on in the media, what's going on with the political scene, both locally, statewide, mm-hmm. nationally. There's lots to chew on, right? Right. Where's the Where's the church having a voice in the in the realm of politics, and where do we see our country going? Mm-hmm. Lots to chew on. 
So we had a really good discussion. I kind of presented for about 10 or 15 minutes, and we really just opened up the floor and uh, let people ask in kind of a Q&A format, whatever was on their minds and hearts. But a lot of other people were chiming in. I didn't, I didn't claim to have all the answers at this event, mm-hmm. and other people were offering some good perspectives. Um, so it was a really good dialogue, and I think it was a fun night, and people enjoyed being together. Um, one of the things that I really encourage them to, to focus on is like number one, when it comes to faith and politics, it, it wasn't just an issues-based talk, right. right? I mean, I wanted to keep it a little bit broader for faith and politics to say to see a, a broader vision of mm-hmm. what the church is really endorsing. But how many of us actually pray for our politicians regularly, mm. our local civic leaders, those who hold public office, state level? You know, I wouldn't want to be a governor of a state going through a pandemic, right? I mean. No, thank you. These are these are tough jobs, mm-hmm. and you have to make some very difficult decisions, and you're going to upset certain people, and lives are at stake, both in terms of managing a disease, mm-hmm. but also economic fallout, uh, domestic disputes in the midst of the quarantine. All these different issues mm-hmm. have to be weighed. And if you look at like Romans 13 or or First Peter, you know there's there's some clear indications to respect those in authority who get their authority mm-hmm. from the authority that comes from God alone. Uh, but to pray for them and to be obedient and to try and lift up our, our civic leaders for the good of the common good, right. for the good of the whole, um, I think that's one of the basic starting points that has to be part of any discussion on faith and politics. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we see that in the petitions of Mass. Mm-hmm. Some, sometimes it's it's a little bit more veiled language. Um, right. But yeah, the second petition is sort of reserved for praying for our leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've seen, though, that I like a lot in the different Byzantine rites they pray specifically for their president, governor, and like local leaders. Oh, so they're praying for their like metropolitan bishop, their bishop, the pope, all these things. Right. But every like liturgy, like vespers and things like that, and then the divine liturgy, they're praying specifically for these people. Mm. And in different times and different with like different presidents we've had, people get revved up if somebody specifically prays for a particular president or governor or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I like that with this particular rite of the church, it's always included. It's mm-hmm. just part of praying for those who have authority over us. Um, that is scriptural. Yeah. yeah. It's really important too. It's, it's, and it's not some like political agenda move. It's a really yeah. Christian move. Yeah. We're not endorsing people, mm-hmm. you know, Obviously, the general intercessions at Mass are intended to be general, mm-hmm. right? It's not just kind of a roll call of, you know, your favorite five people today. <laughs> right. But um, anytime uh, a particular politician, civic leader is endorsed um, in prayer, mm-hmm. it's not a political endorsement. We're, we're asking God to bless this person. Right. And in blessing them, we're all going to be blessed. Yeah. And they have tremendous responsibilities on their shoulders. And we want them to be really anointed and led by the presence of God. Right. And we also want them to be well-integrated people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we need very strong Catholics. We need very strong Christians going into politics, going into civic life. I don't want to be in part of a state. I don't want to be part of a country that's led by people who are just not God-fearing people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, where is that going to lead us? <laughs> right. You know, if, if there's not a sense that there's a transcendent being to whom we're ordered and who has authority over our lives. And right, exactly. With There's somewhere that authority is drawn from. It's mm-hmm. it's not just like autonomous power that our yeah. leaders have from us. Right. We, we delegate that to them in a certain way, but there's a greater authority that God has over all of creation and all of our human interactions and plans and thoughts and desires, right? Exactly. Yeah, any any structure of authority on earth is only a participation in God's sovereign authority over mm-hmm. all of creation. 
And if someone fails to recognize that, well, then where is their power taking them? Is this going to their head and are mm-hmm. they really serving the common good? And in a world in which, you know, knowledge becomes very specialized um, and in which people are kind of having a breakdown or a kind of a disintegrated life mm-hmm. in which the intellectual life, the spiritual life, the worship decisions they make, the moral decisions they make, mm-hmm. the, the holy friendships and family relationships that they have, if that's not all well integrated uh, and we see kind of a fractured or a scattered existence of one's you know, personal life, interior life, well, that's not something that we want for our politicians. It's not something we want for anyone. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we're living in a culture, as I'm sure you see, that when this disintegrated interior life happens, mm-hmm. well, then that quickly breaks down into a disintegrated uh, cultural experience as well, in which a common language of where is our civic community going, perhaps where is our state going, where is our nation going, mm-hmm. that all starts to erode pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. I mean, the same type of formation that we received in seminary, it was very holistic and praise God for a lot of what St. John Paul II did and his, um, his teaching and his formation for what seminaries are today. Mm-hmm. We had these different pillars of formation. And I remember my formators would always tell, tell us that it's like, if something's out of, out of whack and not integrated into your whole existence of being in a relationship with God and relationship with others, stuff kind of comes out sideways. And right. I like that language because that's a good way to put it. It's like, if you just kind of keep things disintegrated, kind of bottled up, eventually it's just going to spill out sideways, not mm-hmm. in the right way. It's, gonna, it's supposed to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that with the political life, with, with people in our, with our people in our, our country or the world, there's a desire for truth, goodness, and beauty. There's a desire to change things for the better. Mm-hmm. But if it's not, integrated in the right way, it's going to come out sideways and it's right. not going to actually lead toward human flourishing. Right. And that, that coming out sideways, as you phrase it. Uh, so often I think that's just coming out in personal attacks, right? Yeah. These emotional attacks that we see um, among, you know, politicians, whether it's uh, commercials attacking one another could be anything really in which the disintegration, the disunity of, um, you know, really focusing on where do we find the truth that is exercised in a true exchange of rational debate? Right. Where do we find uh, a real healthy exchange of ideas mm. in which, you know, whether or not we are going to agree with each other on the end of the night, we're not quite sure, but we're, at least we're going to be ordering our discussion towards respect for the other person and ordered towards discovering the truth together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're just losing that. Right. And it, and it becomes either overly driven by emotion and not kind of centered on right reason, or um, it just becomes a personal attack. Like if I can't engage you on issues, well, I'll just undermine you personally. Right. I don't remember a lot from logic because I studied it when I was 18 years old in college seminary and uh-huh. I was still figuring that stuff so out. So many years ago. But I mean, there's like a whole list of logical fallacies that you can't really commit and still have a, a legitimate reason discussion with somebody mm-hmm. and an ad hominem or an attack against the other person is like number one on the list. It's right. like, it's just so apparent too. like reason goes out the window when you just start hurling sort of accusations and insults back and forth. Right. That goes nowhere. Yeah. Um, and when that happens, I mean, it's a true breakdown of the political life. Mm-hmm. This is not a, this is not a true engagement of what issues can be discovered in a, in a healthy dialogue ordered towards the truth and mm-hmm. the well-being of the common good, mm-hmm. you know? And in order to kind of get towards that, uh, that quest for truth, we also encourage our Catholics to have a well-informed conscience, right? right? 
I think some of the church's documents speak of a well-formed conscience. Mm -hmm. That's what the catechism would refer to it as. I personally kind of like to think of it as well-informing your Mm. conscience uh, because it's, (coughs) excuse me, it's not so much that the conscience itself is remedial and and you have to somehow awaken it from its childhood state. It's there and it's Mm -hmm. functioning if you if you're truly listening to it and engaging it, uh, if you do, if you're not engaging it and you're silencing it, yeah, then it probably needs to be awoken again. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's there and it's firing, it, it needs some content because the conscience right. is speaking for intellectual decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really clear that, like you just said, our conscience is actually being formed all the time. Mm-hmm. So it actually just depends what we like feed it with, really. Right. Um, so, so part of it, I think, if you just live kind of day-to-day, like, sustained isn't even the best word, sort of just, like, writing off the, like, political, like, tension of the time, mm-hmm. constantly consuming the news, constantly consuming the next, like, news that comes out the next 30 seconds, the next minute, um, that so often is just these, like, ad hominem attacks against other people, um, that's going to form your conscience, and you're just going to be a really angry person right. <laughs> at a lot of people. Right. Um, but if you step back and, yeah, look at this more reasoned, understanding of who we are as human beings in society with one another Mm -hmm. and what politics truly is and what the church has given us for 2000 years through the revelation of Jesus, but then also through um, just understanding logical human discourse, uh, that, that can be a real informed conscience. Right. Exactly. The, um, the great, you know, John Henry Newman often speaks of the conscience as having this echo of the voice of God ringing inside Mm -hmm. of us. And it's not just this echo that just kind of rings aimlessly. It's right. always ordered towards our intellectual decisions. Mm-hmm. But this echo is always saying, you know, do good, avoid evil. And when we don't do that, you know, it, it kind of acts as a sovereign master uh, with an experience of guilt and expressions mm-hmm. of guilt that well up in the in the interior life. And then with that, that echo of the presence of God trying to always order us towards good and avoiding evil, these intellectual decisions, you know, come with a pretty heavy choice that has to be made. Mm-hmm. You know, conscience isn't just kind of, well, I'm just kind of reasoning my way through the day, and when I'm at the salad bar of life, I'm going to choose broccoli versus cauliflower. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, that's not a decision of conscience, right? right. Uh, Deacon Keating, now of, of uh, Kenrick Seminary, he's got a very good way of describing this as, you know, reason and, and prudence is going to be uh, judging things, it's mm-hmm. going to be analyzing things, Looking at different angles, and then when you when you've kind of explored all these different angles, and and you know that a decision has to be made as you stand before the truth, the truth who is ultimately God Himself, mm-hmm. as you stand before Him and you say, "I will pursue the truth to the best of my ability according to this," and you choose, mm-hmm. that's the conscience firing. Mm. You know, um, you you've been ordered, you've been summoned to pursue the good and the true. But that comes in an intellectual decision. Mm-hmm. And, and the moment that the choice is made and you, and you say, as I stand before truth and pursue it, and as I know that this decision has ramifications before God, my conscience leads me to choose this intellectually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that act is very important. And, and that's, that's kind of the real the moment where conscience is firing. Right. And to, to fire the conscience in, in choice like that is to be human. I've noticed like the other option rather than getting tied up in the political system is just to totally avoid it altogether. Right. And we would say as Catholics that 
no, you need to have an active life in the political system. Right. Um, we need to be inform- informed citizens, right, and make use our um, obligation of, as citizens to respond to the needs of our times. But the, the sort of idea that, well, I just don't want to get tied up in that, so I won't choose, that actually kind of forfeits part of our humanity. Right. Like, to be human um, is to have the capacity of the will mm-hmm. and to actually be able to choose. Right. Um, I think it's just so clear. People sometimes will try to make these arguments that, well, we're just animals as, as human beings, but we, animals really, they don't have the option to know and to love. Right. But that ability that we have to choose and to exercise this gift of conscience that we have, we become more human when we do that. Right. And this is part of that. Right, because you're made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. And so exercising that not only dignifies the creator who made us, but it helps out bring out that full expression of the anthropology that we're endowed with, mm-hmm. right? And so that, that exercise of conscience is very important, as is the exercise just the, of the ability to vote. Mm-hmm. You know, how many millions of people around the world do not have that ability? And even if you're living in a part of the, of the world, part of the country, in which you feel like your vote doesn't matter, maybe your uh, particular uh, values or your political views do not align with maybe the majority mm-hmm. of, the, of the way that your local area, your local civic community tends to swing. Mm-hmm. We can never sacrifice that ability to have a voice in the civic good and, and to exercise that in, in the face of democracy for the common good and the, and the right that we need to keep pursuing truth and not just exonerate ourselves from where the civic culture is going. Mm-hmm. You know, the Iowa bishops have released uh, a statement here in recent weeks really encouraging Catholics to keep informing their consciences, mm-hmm. to have well-formed consciences as they go and take on this great civic duty of voting. And they keep reminding everybody as bishops that we must have an openness to what is true and what is right. We need to keep studying Scripture and the Church's teachings on specific issues. And we also have to have a, a clear and an unbiased look at, okay, where, where, are, these, where are these things coming from? Mm-hmm. When we hear things, when we, when we study the sources, well, what's the background? Right. Where is this coming from? Is it actually a valid source? Uh, and do we take uh, our political duties, do we take the issue of voting to prayer? Mm. And do we discern with the Lord and invite the Holy Spirit into that? Mm. And then do we just act courageously upon our convictions mm-hmm. uh, as citizens, but also as faithful Christians? Uh, those are certainly things that the Iowa bishops are encouraging as people continue to form their consciences mm-hmm. in seeking the truth. Um, and then, of course, you know, you always have the issues that come up. Well, what are the issues that are most important? Well, we know as faithful Christians, and according to the teachings of the Iowa bishops with their recent statement, that the life issues are are paramount. You know, it's it's and it's it's a really, a, in my opinion, it's a civil rights issue. Right. You know. If we're not protecting life from conception until natural death, and if, uh, if we're not speaking out for those who have no voice among mm-hmm. the unborn, but those who also don't have a voice in the dignities of so many other aspects of human life, if human life isn't always kind of a driving force, right. then what is guiding our, our whole political vision? <laughs> If what is what is politics, but the sort of right ordering of human life, right? <laughs> so if human life isn't first and foremost in the considerations of politics, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? No, absolutely. And, and and the the outpouring by which we understand the gift of human life, by which we understand the, the dignity and value of education, the absolute need to eradicate racism in our midst, mm-hmm. the need to always say that people are, are really deserving of quality health care. Mm-hmm. It's available to all and not just to the rich. 
uh, the need to kind of look at the dignity of each human life from conception until natural death that is also uh, very needed in immigration overhaul. Yeah. You know, and, and some of the subhuman conditions that migrants and refugees are met with at our borders. Mm-hmm. Um, some really courageous decisions have to be made. And what do we do with so many who are caught in the middle of an immigration system that, that doesn't seem to be the most efficient? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we continue to express the, the, the true nature and the dignity of marriage as God has designed it? How do we actually find the, the long-term expression of religious liberty? Mm. You know, uh, I, I really, I do wonder in some of our debates these days, if we're really looking down the road at 10 years out, 20 years out, 50 years out, how do people really understand the, the ability for faithful religious believers to offer some very concrete things in rational dialogue for the good of the common, the common whole? Mm-hmm. I think so often uh, religious belief gets just marginalized as either naivete mm-hmm. or it, it's just not taken seriously because, well, I'm not religious and so therefore I'm just not even going to engage in that. And you go do your thing and you go follow your fairy tale beliefs. Yep. Uh, well, you live in your enchanted forest, but I'm over here in reality trying to fix the world. You know, And that just marginalizes religious <laughs> right? belief. I made this dumb analogy the other day with some of my high school students talking about what basically like kind of most people consider religion. I said, it's basically, I, I might have mentioned this on the podcast before. It's like sprinkled donuts or not sprinkled donuts. It's like the exact same donut. Just religion is kind of like having sprinkles on top. It's like, well, you don't need to have sprinkles to, it just kind of makes it a little bit fine. That, yeah. You can have that if you want over there mm-hmm. in your area, but like, we're fine with what we got over here. Yeah. Um, then the students maybe bring them donuts. But I think that really that holds true. It's like when, when religion is just treated like this fairy tale or <laughs> sprinkles over on the side right it, it loses its its thrust in society right and it's as you and i know having given our lives to serving in the church mm-hmm. it's hardly just sprinkles right right and it's really important to to remember that the virtue of religion is is a human reality and yeah. it's only and, and this is so important that that i think we forget big time and just modernity the idea of sort of like just just kind of atheism all over the place is so new in human history mm-hmm. uh, to have zero kind of connection with God or a, just even appreciation for the fact that there's somebody outside of you that has created the world. That's, mm-hmm. that's brand new in modernity right. that, that hasn't been the reality for millennia. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly not for the ancient Greeks, the ancient Persians, the ancient Romans, uh, native Americans. Mm-hmm. There's always been this openness to the transcendent to say that I am not the center of the universe and that my interior life, the inner soul, is ordered for something that is carrying beyond what I know will meet me in the grave, mm-hmm. meaning death, that there has to be something that's ordered towards this. And if our political life isn't also reflective of that, mm-hmm. then where are we going? Right. You know? I just had one last thought about kind of why it's important for us to even like take up this task of the political life. Um, we we understand as committed Catholics that when we're baptized, we receive this sort of threefold office with Christ to share in his priesthood, his kind of work as preaching the gospel, um, but especially as ruling in this sense. So like the munus regendi of Christ, mm-hmm. the, the ruling uh, kind of office that Jesus has as Christ the king in the world, mm-hmm. that we exercise that in different ways according to our state in life, but we rule our kind of families we guide and lead we shepherd our families but this is part of that guiding and leading and shepherding the the world the state that mm-hmm. we live in the political system that we live in absolutely so it really is responding to our baptismal call to 
to sort of be a part of of the political reality right sharing in the governance mm-hmm. uh in, in whatever capacity we have for the sake of right order mm-hmm. that truth and goodness are always pursued so it's a very important thing that we do as we enter into the political life and take our, our responsibilities for voting very seriously so mm-hmm. lots to think about uh let's keep praying for one another let's keep praying for all who hold public office and we hope that uh, our local communities, our states, and the entire nation keep moving forward towards that ultimate truth that, that we're seeking as, as Christians, but yeah. also as faithful citizens. Yeah, thanks for your thoughts today, Father Shane. This is really helpful. And uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and we'll, we'll catch you soon. Uh, keep praying about this stuff. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.